It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, April 8th. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show, we'll be looking at the tax practices of breakfast cereal joint Kellogg's in Ireland and Dennis O'Brien's possible involvement in a new fund from Russian oligarch Mikhail Friedman, which is aimed at investing up to $16 billion in European telecoms. I'm joined in studio by Mark Paul, Business Affairs Correspondent of the Irish Times, and Colin Keena, Public Affairs Correspondent of the Irish Times. We'll start with Kellogg's. Mark, on Monday you reported that Kellogg's, the maker of cornflakes, Cocoa Pops and other big name cereals, paid just €7 million in tax over the past five years on sales of €7 billion routed through various entities in Ireland. Tell us how this happened. Um, well, corporation tax obviously is paid on profits and not on sales. But one way of keeping your um, your your, your uh, tax bill down is by making sure you don't make any profits. Um, and uh, what Kellogg's has been doing is uh, routing large amounts of its sales from Britain and other parts of Europe through an Irish company called Kellogg Europe Trading. Now that company has uh, enormous loans to another Kellogg's Luxembourg company, um, and the interest on that loan wipes out all of its profits. So it doesn't really pay any tax here. It shifts um, a, a, a lot of the value then over to Luxembourg and uh, as we've seen with Google with Facebook with Apple with other big tech tech companies, um, an awful lot of the, the profitability and the revenues generated by a big multinational outside of this country washes through here and ends up in, uh, in, a, in a more tax-friendly country. Uh, Colin Keane, you've also written that uh, Kellogg's, you, you've written in today's Irish Times that the Luxembourg parent of Dublin-based Kellogg Trading Europe Limited paid just €5,000 in tax and profits of €39.5 million Euros in 2013. This feeds into basically what Mark is, is saying. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, as, as far as I can make it out from the accounts, what happens is um, the, the Dublin company uh, records most of the turnover from the sales in Europe. It um, Instead of making a profit, it pays huge amounts of interest payments to uh, companies in Luxembourg, and um, they don't pay tax on that income. And I suspect that what's going on is that the companies here in Ireland are paying an interest rate. The accounts for uh, Kellogg Europe Trading Show are paying about um, 7.5% on 1.1 billion euros of loans and they're paying 8.75% on, on half a billion euros of loans. So they have these massive loans and they, they make interest payments to, to the companies in Luxembourg. But the companies in Luxembourg have an agreement with the with, with the authorities there that the money they're receiving, even though it's an interest payment when it's in Dublin, is a dividend receipt when it's in Luxembourg. 
And what does and, that mean? And di- dividend receipts in certain circumstances can be tax free. So these are called hybrid financial instruments, and they're one of the uh, one of the kind kind of strategies that were highlighted in the LuxLeaks uh, controversy. Which you report on for the yes, Times. Yes, uh, last year, and um, it's one of the issues that the the OECD through their BEPS project uh, is looking at how they can perhaps uh, make these things, uh, you know, no longer acceptable or whatever. And as Mark was saying, there. Debate the, the effect is to shift your profits somewhere where they're not taxed or, or they're taxed very little, and um, and that's what BEPS is base erosion and profit shifting. And where does this money ultimately end up? Well, it it can it can reside in uh, in in Luxembourg or it could it could be moved to some other o- offshore location. Of course, if you bring it back to America, you pay tax on it then, but it might it might be reinvested. It could go to Bermuda or somewhere like that. And then so Kellogg has to keep moving it around the world, keep it basically out of the United States, but keep using it for the benefit of the group in other parts of the world. Yeah, and it's one of the phenomena of the world we live in. You know, there's, there's absolutely extraordinary amounts of money being stashed uh, in offshore islands by American companies that haven't paid tax on it and don't want to bring it back. And that's why recently, I think it was... with. Apple, I might be wrong about this, but they want they even though they had billions mm. in the bank and they wanted to make an investment or make a purchase, instead of uh, using the money they had in their pocket, they issued bonds because th- that that in that way they avoided the tax charge that would have arisen if they brought their money home. So there's a huge amount of money out there yeah. on deposit because of these strategies. Mark, you've spoken to Kellogg's uh, about their tax practices um, through Ireland. What have they been saying? They say they, they put out a, a version of the, the the usual statement that U.S. multinationals of, of all hues put out when you ask them about their tax practices, which is where they say, "Look, what we do is legal. We pay the taxes that are due in every jurisdiction uh, in which they fall due." Uh, one of the interesting things about the Kellogg situation is that it's one of the first U.S. multinationals to come out and formally warn its investors that BEPS and uh, and the international moves to clamp down on all of this corporation tax stuff um, with U.S. multinationals that it could actually affect their profits. I mean, if you look. Apple, for example, which which last year really stole the headlines in Ireland in terms of corporation tax and 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 and, and washing money through the country. Um, it did that, and that's under investigation by the European Commission, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, that's right. But it did that using uh, what was called a stateless loophole. One of its Irish units that through through which a lot of the money washed wasn't actually tax resident in Ireland, so it couldn't be tax, taxed here, and wasn't tax resident in the US. That loophole was closed by the government in uh, by Michael Noonan. But Apple never issued any warning to its investors. When you look at the, the huge amounts, billions and billions of euro that were passing through that company, um, it should have a material impact on its finances. And with a material impact on your finances, you're supposed to warn your investors. Apple never has never made any statement to its investors about the closure of the state. It's the double Irish, which has just been closed, and in fact, in, 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 in the last number of weeks, that has been affected, the closure of the double Irish. And what about the likes of Google or Starbucks? I mean, these are companies, the US multinationals that are being caught up in the same mm-hmm. in, in, in the same kind of arrangement. Well, Google, for example, yeah, Google is a, is, is a famous proponent of the, uh, of the of the double Irish method, um, um, Apple of course pioneered it. Um, in the last budget, um, Michael Noonan did bring in some uh, tax benefits for companies that choose to locate intellectual property in Ireland, and it's seen by many as a replacement for the double. This Irish. is the knowledge box. Yes, yeah, a sort of a patent box. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, look, that's that's bound to be investigated by the European Commission and deeply at some stage as well. But um, have Google and Starbucks and other companies of that ilk have they been warning their investors no, about the risks? No, no, 
not to my not to my so knowledge. So far, Kellogg's is so far Kellogg's, and that's why Kellogg's and that's why Kellogg's stood out this week because Kellogg's was the first of the big U.S. multinationals to warn formally in its annual report. Yeah. Listen, oh. what's happening could affect us. And we should say, Colin, shouldn't we, that Michael Noonan has closed off that double Irish uh, yeah, loophole? But the it it's for companies that are already using it. It remains in existence, I think, until the end of the decade. So they still got a good few years mm. use mm. out of it. Tell us mm. a little bit about, about the BEPS uh, project. It's been run by the OECD. It's been it's been underway now for some time, hasn't it? When, when are we going to get a conclusion yeah. to it? And what, what, what are what the likely hap- outcomes? What happens is they have what they call action plans, and I can't remember how many of them. They have about 10 or 12 um, different headings that they're going to come out with suggestions under each headings, and they have a, um, a list of... Um, a timetable for each heading and so on. But I think the whole thing is due to be finished by the end of this year. And it, it should include a, a sort of a template to help uh, different governments uh, introduce all the, the, the new kind of suggested measures, you know, in a, in a kind of, um, in a way that makes sense so they all fit with one another. Uh, because it is a big global network that you're talking about. So it's, there'll be a G20 meeting at the end of this year where the governments will probably have to make a decision as to to what extent they're going to go forward with this. They set the whole thing in motion, so you would you would expect that the G20 will have to do something as a result because there are a lot of people giving out about it and it is quite an issue in the media and I think governments feel that, that given that they're... You know, a lot of them are, are stuck for, for uh, public finances and are raising taxes and so on and, and getting it in the neck. Uh, as a result, they can't be letting the richest companies, the most profitable co- companies in the world. Mm. You know, kind of and Ireland does tend to get it in the neck, doesn't it? Uh, we, we tend to be in the spotlight a lot on this issue. And yet, well, you have the sense that other countries like France, for example, are being a bit hypocritical about this. The effective tax rate for a lot of multinationals in uh, France is much lower than the headline rate, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think that um, Ireland played a very fancy, a very smart PR move by closing down the double Irish, but yet leaving it open for another four or five years. But they've dealt, and they must have been very happy with the LuxLeaks controversy, although how that will play out might also uh, uh, be worrying for for Ireland. But I think, yeah, maybe, you know, countries have a way of looking after the domestic multinationals, whereas in Ireland we're looking after other people's multinationals and so it's you know it's no accident that all these hugely profitable technology companies have set up in Ireland. Uh, it's obviously the most advantageous place for them to be. But in the debate with uh, within um, uh, the BEPS, the BEPS debate, one of the issues that people want is is clean tax rules that so everybody can see what's going on, very transparent, and they they're not necessarily too hung up on the rate. And in that, on that basis, Ireland uh, looks uh, like it could come out of the whole process quite, uh, could, it could work quite well mm. uh, for Ireland. Mark, do we have any sense of the scale of Kellogg's operation in Ireland, the, the boots on the ground, as it were? Um, well, its its European headquarters is located here, so it would have several hundred staff in Dublin. Um, um, in terms of its sales in Ireland uh, of cornflakes and Cocoa Pops and Rice Krispies and so on, in Ireland itself, it, it sells only about 62 million mm. uh, euro and it's profitable. Um, but of course, we have you know one and a half billion each year um, of sales from other countries um, and our revenues derived from other countries um, and washing through its Irish units. So, I mean, like, you know, it, it's the European headquarters of a, of, of, of a very, very large company. It's not insignificant, it's operating. Here it's a, it's a significant operation, but it's not as significant as the amounts of money that are washing through its uh, its Irish units. Colin, when this BEPS project is concluded, and you know whatever 
um, structures put in place in the future, is there any sense that there might be uh, that Ireland might lose out in terms of this multinational investment that we've seen over the past number of years by these technology companies you were mentioning earlier? Well, I think it's very up in the air. I think the, the, well, this BEPS is happening, but there's also a lot of talk about corporate corporation tax reform in the United States, and so that would be a key issue. So we have a number of moving parts, and uh, when they all settle, and if they ever ever settle, um, then then you'd and have to see. And there's been talk about uh, tax harmonisation across Europe, tax which we've resisted today. Europe, and, and which a lot of people think won't happen and can't happen, and it's going against the flow uh, of the way the debate is going as to how how this. So there's a lot of people saying that well, what you do is you close down the tax havens, the really really parasitic uh, operations in Bermuda and the like. And so what you want is, a, is what they call to, to line up substance and profits. So the substance, in, in the case of these um, technology companies, you quite often do have quite a bit of substance in Ireland. So if the profits got lodged in Ireland alongside all the people working down the, in the canal docks, um, then, um, then that could be beneficial to Ireland. So it's hard to it's hard, it's hard, you wouldn't want to bet your house in it, but there are, there are reasons to believe it could work out reasonably well for Ireland. Okay, we'll see how that one plays out. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. We'll move now to plans by Russia's second richest man, Mikhail Friedman, to set up a new fund to invest in European telecoms. It's been reported that Ireland's Dennis O'Brien has been asked to join the advisory board of Letter One Technology, a British registered company founded by Friedman. Mark, you've covered this story. What will the nature of Dennis O'Brien's involvement be? And tell us a little bit about this fund. Um, well, Michael Freeman has has uh, has uh, interests across energy, across banking, uh, across the, the telecoms industry, and what um, what L One Technology uh, or Letter One Technology effectively will do is um, it will invest in, uh, in in primarily in struggling European incumbent teleco, teleco companies, the likes of. Um, um, companies similar to Aircom and, 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 and the Aircoms of France and of Italy and of Germany and so on. Um, now, Dennis O'Brien, they've set up an advisory board for this. It's not the actual board of the company, it's an advisory board. And on that, there are a lot of big hitters um, 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 with big experience in the telecoms uh, uh, industry who would uh, who would be able to advise Friedman on what sort of investments to make. Um, the link between the two men, um, between Dennis O'Brien and, and Michael Friedman, is Sir Julian Horn-Smith, an Englishman, one of the founders of Vodafone. Um, I think he is often referred to himself as employee number 12 at Vodafone um, and he has served on the board of Digicel since 2006 which is Dennis O'Brien's Caribbean based uh, te- te- telephones te- company highly successful high, highly biggest s- operator in that region biggest operator in that region highly successful highly profitable and, and really the, 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 the engine of his wealth of a Dennis cash cow of, for of, of Dennis wealth. but since 2006 Julian Horsmith has served on the board of Digicel and from since about the same time he has also um, been an advisor to Michael Friedman um, and uh, 
on his alpha group um, uh, in relation to telecoms. Um, so uh, uh, one would presume that Julian Horne-Smith is the link between Dennis O'Brien and Michael Friedman, and, uh, and Michael Friedman wants to tap into Dennis O'Brien's knowledge and contacts and, uh, and, and insights. Uh, Colm, you've written about uh, Michael Friedman in the past, particularly in relation to assets uh, belonging to the former Sean Quinn group. Tell us a little bit about him. Who is he? Uh, How has he become re- uh, Russia's second richest man? And what's the Quinn involvement? Yeah, I, I, he, I, he, I think he's one of these oligarchs that's been there from right from the start. So when the Soviet Union started to c- collapse, he was apparently uh, scalping theatre tickets, whatever that means. But I think it means buying them cheap and selling them mm. for more than you pay for them. And uh, and he worked up, he worked up from there. He, he started out as kind of rough and tumble when the market was the market was when a market was just developing in in any sort of service and product in the Soviet Union. And, and he and he he rose from there. Uh, Vimplecom, one of the biggest telecom operators in the, in the Soviet Union. It was one of the first uh, Russian. It was, I think, the first Russian company to float the New York Stock Exchange and so on. So he's been there from the start, making a lot of money, one of the richest people in Russia, and also staying well away from politics, not getting involved in, staying in on the, the media, right too. Yeah, not you know, not threatening anybody and getting on with making money. His his origins are in the Ukraine actually, and he's Jewish and he's funded a lot of Jewish. Um, you know, foundations and the like over the years. Okay, and what's the involvement with Sean Quinn? Well, that was a fascinating one. Uh, Sean Quinn set up a property portfolio in uh, in the 2000s in Russia and Ukraine and elsewhere. Uh, there were loans from Anglo-Irish Bank. The whole thing collapsed. The family set to stop the uh, bank seizing the assets. A lot of property companies involved in different jurisdictions around the world. When the bank tried to assert its uh, legal uh, authority. Anglo became part of IBRC, IBRC. which was liquidated, yeah. and then the liquidators tried to assert yeah. control over the yeah, assets. And right, I mean, right from the start, when they were trying to seize the assets, they had a share receiver appointed, and uh, they, they just couldn't get at them, and it was like trying to eat, eat your soup with a fork. You know, They kept on being companies popping up in Panama and Belize and all over the place saying, oh no, I own that, and I own that. People trying to get into offices over in um, in Kiev and, and Moscow and finding the, 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 the office manager wouldn't let them in and not being able to find out where the rent was going and all this very, very strange rulings in courts in, in Kiev and in Moscow and the bank really was tearing its hair out even though the court here in Ireland told the Quins to stop it and the Quins said that they had put this whole uh, charade in train. They said the Quins said they lost control of it and as a Supreme Court judge here said at one stage you said it's a double cross the banks and you got double crossed yourself uh, that's that's the Quinn's point of view. The bank has never accepted that uh, as being the truth. They believe the Quinns were still uh, running the show, even though they couldn't um, assert their uh, their their legal authority. So they they went into business with, uh, with IBRC with with, with, with they Alpha did a, Group. Yeah, they did a deal with the Alpha Group. They, this man has a huge amount of uh, experience of being in the court. He's been involved in some massive lit- litigations over the years, and uh, and so the idea was, and I was speaking to people on the ground over there at the time, both in Kiev and Moscow, and is, is that you know if you were going to be ringing somebody up to try. To, to put in some, some sort of dodgy practice or sharp practice or too smart for, for words practice in the courts you might say well hang on I'm not going up against him I'm not doing that to him whereas you might be prepared to do it from the IBRC if you come from Ireland you never heard of him before or whatever you know so you, would, you, you wouldn't really want to mess around with him you might make a very, very powerful enemy so that I think was the basic Basically, so this is a partnership they had. It's a partnership, Alpha. yeah. And how and did it work out? They've set they've set up a company, and I think we've already gotten quite a bit of the money from the Russians. 
and that's kind of a loan to a company and then they go out and try reassert control over these assets and sell them. So it's their problem. And then and then the money that is realized is divvied up. And as far as I understand it, they've reasserted control over the assets. They've got control over the rent roll, although quite a bit of rent is missing. And um, the sales process has proved to be a bit bumpy. Of course, since all this started, we've had the, the war begin uh, in the border between Russia and Ukraine. The value of the assets is, is a lot less. And there's a big shopping centre in Kiev. There's a shopping centre in Kiev. Yeah, yeah. And a, and a, and a, a, a state-of-the-art uh, office building in, in um, Moscow that w- w- was a lot more valuable than it is mm. now. Mark, you mentioned Aircom a few moments ago um, that that's the style of company that this fund might be interested in. And Dennis O'Brien has been interested, he's shown an interest in Aircom on a couple of occasions mm. in the past. Do you think this fund, do you think O'Brien might be interested in Aircom via this fund? Uh, look, there's a lot of talk out there in the telecoms industry that Dennis O'Brien still holds a candle for Aircom. Um, and certainly Aircom would fit the bill of the sort of companies that Letter One Technology would be uh, would be uh, looking at. So to make the leap, uh, I mean, I'd be, I'd be quite sure they'd at least look at it. Um, look, Aircom is, uh, you know, Aircom will be bought by somebody soon, whether it's uh, by a lot of investors through a flotation or whether it's by uh, some sort of a trade buyer. I mean, they pulled a flotation last year. It's owned by a collection of banks and lenders. Um, they don't want to own it forever. Um, um, and uh, if, if, if Letter One or somebody else came along with an interesting bid, um, you'd have to imagine that certainly its owners would look at it. Um, Dennis O'Brien has tried uh, to, you know, he tried to buy um, uh, Aircom when, when, when Tony O'Reilly bought it or Tony O'Reilly's consortium bought it back in the early 2000s. Um, he had a look at it uh, 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 in the last number of years. Um, and, and there are people who say he still, he still would like to buy it. What, one of the things that Letter One has said it will do um, is to... Is to sort of whip European telecoms companies into shape uh, in terms of the sort of services they sell to their customers. They say that European telecoms companies, um, and they know everything about their customers. They know who you call. They know uh, uh, your internet habits. They know all of these things about you, and they don't use this information very well to sell products to you. Um, and that they will drill down into that sort of knowledge. It's a little bit um, um, kind of 1984 type stuff, but they would drill down into this knowledge, um, the companies that let their own technology buys, and, 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 and sell you more services, more apps, and, 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 and squeeze Just do you. the type of thing that Google and Apple and so forth essentially, are, are doing uh, Essentially, yes. So, I mean, you know, if 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 they bought Aircom, they would, uh, uh, you know, look, and and, and and that's highly theoretical. But if they, if they bought Aircom, um, you would imagine that they would look to um, 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 to drill down in that way into the company. And uh, uh, Dennis O'Brien knows Aircom probably um, as well as anybody else around. Mm. I mean, he's tried to buy it a couple of times, or he's looked at buying it a couple of times, um, and he has the connections and he has the. The, 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 the contacts around the company in order to be able to pull off a deal so uh, he would be highly uh, valuable to, 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 mm. to let her one to Michael Friedman if he decided to do something and like just that. to digress for a moment I mean he's got his own competitive pressures now in Digicel because there's a big regional merger taking place there at the minute Tell that's right that. that's right yeah. Dennis O'Brien uh, uh, obviously as we said uh, owns Digicel um, and uh, Digicel's future Digicel's past and its present has been all about the mobile phone industry but its future really is in fixed line and broadband and fibre and uh, the sort of stuff that Aircom does here um, and that's its future and, 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 and they're investing very heavily in that but uh, two of its rivals uh, Cable and Wireless and Columbus International 
um, um, they've just merged um, um, and that deal has just closed. Uh, it's a $3 billion merger when you include the value of shares. Dennis O'Brien's company, Digicel, had actually tried to buy Columbus. Um, so it's pretty upset about this merger and uh, it thinks it's going to be anti-competitive down in uh, down in the Caribbean. And effectively what it does, it puts a huge blockage in the way of Dennis O'Brien's growth plans for Digicel. He thought he would have not so much a free run, but certainly uh, a good run at building up a huge fibre business down in the Caribbean. Now there's this huge, massive hulking competitor standing in his way. And if you look at some of the people behind um, um, uh, Columbus and Cable and Wireless, I mean, you have John Malone, who is uh, an, an investor in Liberty Global and UPC, the biggest landowner in the US. I mean, he's not going to be afraid of a little bit of competition from the likes of Dennis O'Brien. Um, Digicel, look, is still a hugely successful uh, uh, and growing company, but it, it does have other problems as well in that or other issues to contend with. Um, it's very high debt, isn't it? It is very high debt, and, and but more importantly than that, its debts are all denominated in US dollars um, and most of its revenues are denominated in Jamaican local dollars, Haitian Caribbean dollars, currencies, yeah. local currencies, which are all weakening against the dollar because as the, as the US Fed raises interest rates and um, 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 as its economy improves over there, it basically means that Digicel has to run more quickly in order to pay its debts. It's, it's, it's running to stand still, in effect. Um, and it grows, but its, uh, it's, 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 its growth, its, its ability to, be, to, even though it grows in local currencies, its ability to repay its debts doesn't grow. Um, so the strengthening dollar is a problem for Digicel. This new competitor in the form of the merger between uh, Cable and Wireless and Columbus is a, is a competitor for Digicel. So you wonder, you, you, you wonder, might he take a strategic decision with the company at some stage? Maybe he will. Do we have any sense whether Dennis O'Brien is actually going to invest himself in this fund? Have you been talking to his people? Um, uh, his people uh, uh, haven't uh, been there to be contacted um, and, and, and certainly haven't called back the Irish Times. Um, there is no indication at this stage as to whether or not he's an investor. It's an advisory board. Um, and you would imagine that if he was a big investor in the company, he would take a, play, he would take a seat on its actual board. Um, um, so I think at this stage, Michael Friedman has no need for anyone else's money. Um, so I think at this stage it's Dennis O'Brien's expertise he's after as opposed to his money but if they were going to do a, a particular deal whether it was Aircom or whether it was somebody else would Dennis O'Brien get involved if he uh, if he had the capability why not Colm uh, Friedman and Alpha Group have a bit of a history of falling out with some of their partners don't they they um, do yeah and ironically um, one of the huge spats they've had in their day is with Telenor who are the people that mm. uh, Dennis O'Brien teamed up with when he was starting out in his telecom career. For the career. mobile license yes, in Ireland. Yes, yeah. exactly. And they fell out after about three years after they went into operation. And the um, the Alpha Group had uh, this uh, this major uh, Russian um, concern, Vimpelcom, and they had a share in it, and Telenor had a share in it. And then they wanted to buy, the Russians wanted to buy this Ukrainian uh, telecoms, and uh, the Telenor people didn't want to buy it. And they had a big row about it. And it went on for a few years, and there were these odd cases, which are strangely like the kind of Quinn scenarios where some uh, hitherto unknown uh, uh, offshore isle, island uh, entity would pop up and bring a court case in Siberia or somewhere and get an award for billions of dollars against against Telenor and so on. And then he was involved with BP as well in 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 the oil sector in. Um, Russia and they had uh, the Alpha Group were and they had a huge fight as well and again once again the same f- type of phenomena, um, um, you know these hitherto unheard of people popping up and saying I've got shares in this and you've you've uh, you've done something to damage me and going into court and getting awards multi billion dollar awards from from obscure courts and uh, at one stage uh, a BP executive 
executive was quoted as saying it's all part of the rough and tumble of doing business in Russia when a court had awarded $3 billion in damages uh, uh, a Siberian court to an offshore company that nobody had ever heard of before. Um, but uh, they actually made the claim, um, or t- sorry, Telenor uh, made the claim that one of these offshore uh, uh, litigants that turned up on, during their spat was in fact funded by an offshore trust that Mr. Friedman had, had set up and, and given the $4 billion dollars uh, to, to fund uh, to fund it and that it would be used to take litigation against partners business partners when it was ad- advantageous for Mr. Uh, Friedman to, 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 that that should happen now I'm not saying that I I don't know what the results of all of that were I think it was they did a deal and it all ended it all ended there but um, obviously if you know if you're reading about that that, that sort of stuff you'd be uh, perhaps a bit wary about going into business with them sure. but the, I think Telenor actually uh, went back into business and, and subsequently did business with him and, and, it, and it worked out well. Right, okay. But I suppose you just have to make sure everything's well tied down, you know. Yeah. Mark, let's just go back to Aircom for a moment because they looked at an IPO last year, they pulled it, didn't go ahead. Uh, Herb Rebar left as chief executive, Richard Mote um, took over. Everybody's wondering uh, where now for Aircom, they have a new man at the helm, as it were. Uh, where do you see it going? Um, well, the, the biggest challenge facing Aircom and the biggest thing it has to do is, and it sounds obvious, but it has to, uh, it needs growth. It needs sales growth. For, 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 for several years now, they've dealt with the problems by cost-cutting more than 2,000 people out of the business. There's only so much you can cut. Um, and, and, and there's been no growth story. Uh, it's one of the reasons why they pulled the flotation towards the end of last year. There was no growth. Um, you can't go to the markets uh, and selling a company to investors if it's not growing. So Richard Moat's focus is, is on building top-line revenue growth, quite simply. And the way he's trying to do that is, uh, is through fibre. Um, they've got a lot of fibre trials on at the moment. They're going they to put a huge investment into that in the past few years. Huge, huge investment, hundreds of millions of euros into it. Uh, and, and, and I think they set aside a total of, was it about 700 million in total uh, to invest in it? Um, they're doing this trial at the moment called Fibre to the Home, which will, at the moment, do the quickest broadband speed you can get is about 100 megs a second your average Dublin customer or, 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 or core customer or global customer that's what you get Aircom are trialling uh, a thousand uh, uh, megawatts uh, uh, which is or, or one gigabit as it's called I mean I don't anyone's eyes to glaze over here with all these various acronyms but um, essentially it's very 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 fast broadband you can download a high definition movie in you know less than two minutes um, um, so that's Aircom's future is in providing those sort of services um, it also has a competitor in this sense in that ESB and Vodafone have got into bed together on some sort of a regional competitor for Aircom here but that's, that, that's where Aircom needs to go fixed line services high speed broadband um, television services um, and 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 what they call sort of conversion, trying get getting everybody onto one bill. So you know, kind of mobile television, uh, internet, um, and fixed line telephone, getting all that onto one bill, quad play, and, uh, and 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 trying to build some sort of revenue growth. Okay, well, we'll see if that's of any interest to Mikhail Friedman as he plans to invest the $16 billion across Europe in various telecoms companies. That's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Mark Paul and Colm Keenan for their contributions. Sinead O'Shea produced the show. The researcher was Declan Conlon and JJ Vernon was sound engineer. Don't forget, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up for our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next week, take care.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 